So I am excited to not only see you all this morning, but to meet family and to meet friends and siblings and brothers and sisters and all sorts of wonderful people. There is more green and red going on in this room right now than I'm probably ever going to see in my life. And in case you did not know, tomorrow is Christmas. And for those of you who are almost ready to start shopping, <laughs> we will have a word of prayer for you at the end of the service today. For all the rest of us, it is now time to enjoy. And I hope that's exactly what you will do. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like Christmas just comes fast. I can remember my parents making the statement when I was growing up that time gets faster the older you get. And that never made sense to me until I began to get a little bit older. And all of a sudden, I can identify with every single bit of that. I've also noticed the older I've gotten, I can get caught up in the busyness of Christmas and begin to miss the meaning of the celebration itself. And it's not that I don't know the story of Christmas and the significance of the incarnation of Christ. It's not that I don't know the passages that are there. This is just what I've noticed in my own life. I find that I have a hard time stopping long enough to enjoy the meaning of Christmas. So today, on December the 24th, whether you are young or old, whether you are ready or not, whether you are finished with your shopping or not, we are going to do our best to pause and to enjoy one major piece of the Christmas story. It is the declaration that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I've only got one part of one verse that we're actually going to study this morning. The, the passage is over in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it simply says this, and his name will be called Prince of Peace. And his name will be called Prince of Peace. If you would, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask once again this morning, May your spirit guide us into truth. And Lord, may the truth of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, may it come so alive. May we enjoy it. May we thoroughly soak it in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So more than 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a Messiah who would come. In the fullness of that verse, just for context, would say, for a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His name will be called Prince of Peace. For hundreds of years, the prophets spoke of this child of significance who would come, and each of the different prophets would give another clue that would help people identify the coming Messiah. But we find with the prophecies of Isaiah that there's major parts, major clues about his mission that are now discovered. Each of the titles that it's provided gives another aspect of the identity as well as the mission of Christ. He is counselor. He is God. He is Father. He is peace. Later on in the New Testament, when Luke 
describes the Christmas story. He spoke of the angels filling the skies and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. He, he picks up that component of peace and he declares it to the world. The Prince of Peace is promised and the Prince of Peace has come. And that one declaration impacts every single one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. Every single person on the planet has at least three great needs for peace in their life. Peace with God, peace of mind, and peace with others. And you will find that every single part of that is only found in a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we're going to walk out each of those this morning. So here's the first of those. You can have peace with God through Jesus. Uh, your, your key text, it's in your notes, is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I've said it before. We're going to say it again this morning. Humanity is hopelessly and helplessly religious. It doesn't matter what culture you study. It doesn't matter what country you visit. It doesn't matter what part of civilization you drop yourself into. There is some system of belief that is focused on God or on the gods. Every single one of these cultural beliefs has this idea that there's something that a person has to do or a person has to believe in order to be right with, to please and or appease God. For example, Judaism tries to please God by keeping the law. Islam tries to please Allah by adhering to the five pillars of Islam. Buddhism tries to join with the divine by living according to the four noble truths in the eightfold path. Hinduism requires five daily offerings and annual pilgrimages and religious festivals. Jainism, it calls for five great vows, seeks, observe four principal ceremonies, etc., except every single religion out there has this system of beliefs that somebody must do to please and or appease God. Inherent within humanity is the need to know that we are right with God and that somehow God is okay with us. Now, here's the question we have to ask. Why would any of us think there was something wrong? If I've never met anyone, if it's my first time of ever meeting them, but I don't know them and they don't know me, why would I assume they're upset with me? And yet within humanity is this restlessness of knowing that something is not right between us and God. And humanity's attempt at this, they're, they're trying to fill that void. Ever since the garden, ever since sin entered the equation, death comes through sin, and that sin brings separation between humanity and God. And because of that, humanity has been trying its best to bring reconciliation, to bring the two together, to make sure God's okay with me and, and I'm okay with God. And the primary way that we do it is through religion. But here's the problem with that. As hard as we might try to please and or appease God with religion, there's never a guarantee in religion. While every religion gives instructions of what you must do, 
Religion does not take into account human error. So if the religion says this is what you have to do in order to be right with God, what happens if you can only do it 80% well? What happens if your best is only 70%? Is 70% a passing grade? Now, if, if it's about our good works, how do we know what the right ratio is? If it's supposed to be that my good works outweigh my bad, then is that a one-to-one -one ratio? Is that a three-to-one ratio? Is that a two-to-one ratio? Like, how do I know at the end of the day that my good is good enough to please and or appease God? Christianity is different. Christianity just comes right out and says, you can't. End of story. Our best is not good enough. But that's the beauty of the story of Christ. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later, and he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship, peace with God to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus. That's a part for our celebration Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that Jesus made peace with God through the blood of his cross. He did the work. Our part is to receive by faith what he has done. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified means made right. So let that one just kind of sink in. Having been made right by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is not based on our ability. It is based on what Jesus has done for us. So this morning, are you still trying to have peace with God through your own efforts? Are you still in a place that you're just hoping one day your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds? Are you at a point right now that you feel spiritual anxiety because you just don't know if your good is good enough. Here's the good news of Jesus. Your good is never good enough, but his always is. He is enough. Here's the second one. You can have peace of mind through Jesus. Key text there is Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. L listen, in Christ Jesus. Let's say that again, in Christ Jesus. We've, we've talked a lot in this last year about in Christ truth, primarily in our Ephesians study. This is just one more passage that links the promise of God to those who are in Christ. According to Scripture, those people who have repented of their sin by placing faith in Jesus, they've now entered what's called union with Christ. Christ is in you, and you are in him. There is a union with Christ. According to what we find in John chapter 15, apart from that abiding relationship, you and I can do nothing. Within that abiding relationship, Jesus promises to bear fruit through us. Everything God does in and through our lives, he accomplishes out of that relationship. And peace of mind is no exception. Where do we find peace of mind? It's in Christ. How do you and I experience it? By abiding in Christ. 
It's overflow out of relationship. Now, this is big. This is big. This is, this is something that every believer needs to hear this morning. There are many people who have peace with God, but they still don't enjoy the peace of God. Here's what I mean by that. They have a reconciled relationship with God. They're saved. They're saved, no question about it. But they've not learned to abide in that relationship. So as a result of that, they're still trying to figure it out themselves and resource their own needs and calm their own mind and care for all of their own problems. Instead of them being able to abide and having peace of mind, they're internalizing it all, all the struggle, all the pain, all the anxiety. According to Scripture, we can have peace of mind because of being in Christ. People want peace of mind. But I've noticed that we often don't want to do what is necessary to experience peace of mind. It comes by abiding. Now, out of curiosity, I googled the phrase, what are people willing to give for peace of mind? I just wanted to find out what the world has to offer out there. Like, like if, if they're not going to take Jesus up on this offer, like what are people willing to give? And you all know when you Google anything, there's all sorts of stuff out on the web. So I will share a couple of the tidbits I discovered. Um, apparently, taking care of your own burial arrangements will give your family members peace of mind. Now, let me just say, I think that's very good. I think you need to take care of those things. Your family will thank you for it. But here's what I can tell you. Uh, it might bring peace of mind in one part of your life. It won't bring peace of mind to every part of your life. Here's another one I learned. Tax return outsourcing will give you peace of mind. As soon as I saw tax return, my peace of mind vanished right there. So I don't believe that for a moment. Another one said a craft show checklist will give you peace of mind. And whenever... I'm doing my crafts down at the show. It is that checklist that is holding me all together, no question about it. Another one said, intelligent software by Microsoft will give you peace of mind. Come on, Pete. Microsoft and peace of mind do not go hand in hand together. Another one said, life insurance will give you peace of mind. Again, it's good to have life insurance. It's responsible to have life insurance. But if I have to die to access the benefits, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to give me a lot of peace of mind in that moment. So all of those sites offer peace of mind in one area of life. None of them offer peace of mind for life. That's what Jesus is offering as a person is living in and abiding in and experiencing this relationship with him, he promises to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't just provide peace for the moment. He provides peace for the person, regardless of the situation that you're facing. The God of peace can protect your heart and your mind. If our need for peace were based on our ability to generate peace, we'd all be in trouble. 
He's not asking us to make it up ourselves. He is asking us to be with him, abide with him, and he will live peace through us. So here's my question. Do you have peace of mind this morning? Are you worried about the past? Are you struggling to get your mind around what's going to happen in the future? Are you being overwhelmed by what's happening right now in the present? Peace of mind comes through abiding in Christ. Here's the final piece. You can experience peace with others through Jesus. Of each of the three that I've described, that could be the hardest one for us to fully accept. I mean, how is it possible that Jesus can bring peace with others? And I don't know if it's okay with you all if I'm just completely honest, but there's some mean people out there. There's some people that do not want to be nice. Some people do not want to reconcile. Some people do not want to play fair. How can it be that he can provide peace with others? All I can say is the consistent message of his life and of his teachings is that he can bring peace with others. And here's just a few passages. For example, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Within the context of the kingdom, there's a high value that is placed upon making peace. Further in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed what to do if someone is upset with you. He, he said, leave your offering at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. There is a personal responsibility that comes to the person who knows someone has something against you. According to Scripture, leave your offering and go be reconciled to your brother. I'll just pause for a moment. Could it be one of the reasons we struggle to worship in freedom? Could it be that one of the reasons we ducking behind counters at Walmart is because we're unwilling to follow that passage. The longer we walk in disobedience, the harder it is. And let me just say, I believe one of the reasons why we don't like that passage is because to obey it, you have to step into the awkward. And it is awkward. It is not comfortable. It is not fun. But listen, it is right, it is biblical, and it is freeing. When you are right with those around you, there is a freedom that you get a chance to enjoy. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Paul, there's not a single phrase in any of those passages that you just brought up that specifically says, Jesus will help you live at peace with others. You are exactly right. Thank you for bringing that up. There's a reason for that. The answer is found in the sequence of all three. Jesus did not help us make peace with God. He became our peace. He did not help us have peace of mind. He guarded our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He will not help us be at peace with others. He will live peace through us. It's the Christ life. It's overflow living. Remember, the commands of God are written to the life of Christ in you. In situations where you and I might have lashed out, he responds in grace. 
Have you ever found yourself in one of those moments where somebody says something and you remain calm and the moment goes by and you're like, I got no idea how I had the strength to remain calm in that moment. You didn't. That was a moment of Jesus living through you. Those moments when somebody is mad with you, they're upset with you, and about everything's about to come out the tip of your mouth, and you want to tell them everything on your mind, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, reel it in, reel it in, reel it in, and you just say, I'll pray for you, and all of a sudden, you're like, God, that is not the same person I was three weeks ago, three months ago, two years ago. It is him living his life through us. It's overflow living. Now, somebody might say, Paul, I'm saved. I know that. And I'm praying about this person. I'm praying about this situation. And the more I pray, the madder I get, the more upset I become. I'm going in the opposite direction right now. Not only do I not have peace, I'm more mad than what I was before I started praying about it. What am I doing wrong? Again, great question. Here it is. This is me speaking as I've tried to live these passages out. Our outlook gradually changes through repeated acts of obedience and extended seasons of abiding in Christ. I'm going to say that again. Our outlook gradually, gradually changes through repeated acts of obedience and extended seasons of abiding in him. My outlook rarely changes after praying one time or trying to abide two days with it. Instead, what I will find to be the case is I will have angry thoughts, mad thoughts that just keep coming back into my mind. And when it does, every time it comes to the best of my ability by being led of the Spirit, I try to use that as a moment to go back and say, God, I bring this back before you again. If I don't leave it with you, I'm going to be mad the rest of the day. God, I bring it before you again. Every time something comes to mind and I can feel bitterness and jealousy, I, I ask God, would you give me the opportunity right now to, to love this person the way you love them? Every one of those is an opportunity to go back and bring it again and again and again. Here's what I find. It's rarely one and done. It's often going to be occasionally and ongoing in your life. It's going to be one of those things you just keep bringing back. You keep going through the same thing. And what you'll find is through repeated times of obedience and extended seasons of abiding, he gradually begins to change that outlook. You just begin to look at the person different, look at the situation different. There's a compassion that he gives, a mercy that he gives. It only comes through him. So let's bring it together. The key to peace on earth this Christmas is not being a Christian. There's a lot of Christians, and there's still not a lot of peace. It's not knowing the Christmas story. I think a lot of us know it, and we're still not having peace. It's not even vowing to live in peace. There's a lot of great intentions that do not amount to peace. The key to peace on earth is the presence and the pervading influence of the Prince of Peace. He not only gives peace, he is peace. If you remove Jesus from the equation, you find people trying to accomplish in their ability 
what only can be accomplished by God.